Welcome to episode 238 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we review State of Origin Game 2 and the international matches and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 238 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week, post-Origin 2 and the international rep round? Oh, Dr. T, I've got to say, I absolutely love this weekend. It was fantastic football all around. It was a great state of origin. Uh, now, I know we're going to go into the result. The result might have not been as uh, close and nail-biting as what we expected. But I just love, I thought the atmosphere and the build-up towards the game, um, like the way it came across in- on TV, it, it I thought it was absolutely phenomenal the way it, it, it was, but not just that. Also, all of rep rounds. Um, I think the you know the other state of origin matches as well as the international games. Um, they all had their own flavor, and it was they were all quite compelling to watch. But yeah, absolutely excited. How about yourself, there, Doctor T? Oh, look, there's uh, look. It was a pretty pretty strong set of games that we saw on the weekend. Uh, you know, you kind of wish you, you have more of these rep rounds because, mm. uh, you know, I feel like sometimes having the midweek state of origin uh, is kind of, you know, like as, as exciting as it is, it kind of focuses too much on on state of origin and doesn't give us a wider perspective on uh, all the representation that, that we have in the NRL from different countries. And and so I think, yeah, the representative round, I don't know if it's officially called that, we're just calling it that, but it's, uh, yeah. in my mind, I think it's a very valuable thing to have. Um, but yeah, look, there's a lot to talk about. So without any further ado, let's get into tackle number one, where we review the representative round. Here we go. All right, so the representative round. Uh, so, look, there were quite a few matches played, including the under-19s for Origin, but we're going to skip those and just go to the main ones. And so it started off on Friday evening, uh, on the 24th of June. It was the Women's State of Origin at GRO Stadium in Canberra. It was a close one, but in the end, the New South Wales, uh, I think, are they, are they called the, the Blues still? Uh the 20 points to 14 against the Queensland Maroons, uh, you know, one converted try, but I think New South Wales sort of was fairly dominant and never mm. really looked like losing. Um, then we went into the international matches, the big international matches uh, involving the Pacific Island nations. So on Saturday afternoon, our time in Sydney, Mount Smart Stadium in Auckland, 26 to 6 was the score. New Zealand over Matema Tonga. Uh, unfortunately, Tonga not able to replicate the success of the past. 
Um, and New Zealand, and we did sort of say this before, and New Zealand definitely on paper looked really, really, really strong. And they certainly, um, you know, it was a tough game. It was, uh, it was a bit up and down, but I think uh, they were a class above Tonga in that game. And then we had two games, a double header at Campbelltown Stadium in Sydney uh, on Saturday, same day, Saturday, 25th of June. Samoa, 42-12 to 12 over the Cook Islands. I think a pretty expected result there. And a pretty epic uh, main event game, I would say. Papua New Guinea, 24 over Fiji Butty, 14. It was an epic game. There's a lot to talk about as well. We'll dive into it later. Um, and then the final, uh, the final game, obviously, of the weekend, Sunday evening in uh, Optus Stadium in Perth. The Blues, the New South Wales Blues, 44-12 to 12 over the Queensland Maroons, you know, reliving the uh, the dominance that they experienced early last year in the early part of the State of Origin series. Back to form. Uh, look, a lot to talk about. But what I wanted to talk about now is, uh, I guess, your highlight out of, out of all of them. We're going to dive into everything anyway, Tish, but... Um, do you have a highlight out of all of these games that I mentioned that you wanted to raise? Well, look, I do want to raise that uh, I did hear Graham Mannersley talk about um, uh, just the television audience, and I believe they had a record for the internationals, and they also had a record for the women's state of origin game as well. And I think this is the first time the under-19s was prime time as well. So um, I think over 500,000 uh, viewers uh, for that uh, State of Origin game, uh, and I think it was close to that on a Saturday night, which is normally not a great uh, time slot for the live sport, considering everybody's usually out on a Saturday night. And I think the State of Origin had its biggest audience since 2018 as well uh, on TV. So I think um, that just shows you how much interest and popularity was in these sports. And I think it was, look, I think particularly, um, you know, out of what, yeah, so I think the ratings, I also think the atmosphere of each of the games, particularly at Mount Stadium, just seeing all those Tongan flags when they scored a try, <laughs> right? Yeah. It was, it was, it was great. And um, them singing uh, throughout the game as well, um, you know, unfortunately wasn't as close as what we, we were hoping for, but it was, it was good to, I think it was a good game for both teams and, and I think it does position New Zealand as a threat um, to win the World Cup. And I think it also, I think there was some enough positives for Tonga to show that they can compete um, as one of the top contenders as well. So I'd say that that game was probably the highlight for me. What about yourself, Dr. T? Yeah, look, I think uh, for me, the highlight, look, there's so many highlights. I mean, really can't, uh, we're going to go through them all anyway. But mm. if I was to pick kind of one, you know, on the field, and let me just say, add one off the field as well. On the field, I think the Blues, um, their second half performance was unparalleled. I think they just, uh, and we'll, we'll explain why we think they, they got on top of the Maroons there. But I think the, the way that they came back, it looked like a close game at halftime. 
it could have gone either way, but I think they just stepped up a gear. And I think to me that was, uh, you know, they just accelerated uh, out of the blocks and uh, left them left them for dead. So I think that was pretty impressive. Uh, and then off the field, I would say uh, one of the, the highlights for me, and this sort of, you know, when we're talking international games, especially amongst the Pacific Island nations, we, we're talking a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, reverence to God and a lot of, you know, there, there, there's a definite kind of, um, you know, religious element. They're, they're all mm. kind of, uh, you know, the backgrounds that they have, they're all very respectful at the end of the game. Uh, and what we saw at in the PNG-Fiji match at the end in particular I thought was amazing TV. And, and as I was watching, I was like, this is unbelievable. And then obviously uh, it, it definitely got uh, clipped and highlighted in, in various news outlets afterwards. Um, and what I saw was the, both teams basically gathered around in a, you know, kneeling down in a circle, uh, arm in arm, you know, both mm. teams, PNG and Fiji, uh, and a few microphones in the middle captured the, an amazing, harmonized voices of the Fijian players yeah. who were singing uh, an amazing kind of traditional song, yeah. um, a traditional hymn, and really um, – and then after that, I think they did a, a bit of a prayer together with the P PNG players as well. But I just was blown away by the harmonizing skills, the harmonization yeah. skills of the Fijian boys. I mean, you wouldn't expect it. I know mm. that they grow up in and around that kind of religious culture in the villages there in Fiji, but it's it, to hear the top level players of that nation sing like that. It sort of puts to it 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 brings to shame, I guess, all those uh, discussions that we have about you know when when a certain player or set of players don't sing a national anthem. I mean, you saw examples of, I think it's with Samoa and maybe Cook Islands, of players in tears as their national mm. anthem was being sung because they are so proud Josh to represent. Schuster. That's right. That's one of them. And, and mm. you know, so proud to represent. And in the past, didn't we see Wes, Wes Naguama or something yeah. like that? Similar Kevin sort Nagam. of thing. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Nagama. Sorry, Kevin Nagama. Um, and, and, you know, the, the that sort of, look, that tells me, uh, you know, it sort of demonstrates more than anything how passionate uh, international rugby league can be. Mm. And look, for us, you know, I guess Queenslanders have a similar thing with state of origin. Not that they would be in tears <laughs> for having represented the, the Maroons, but I think this is where we want to get to. I think the Pacific mm. boys are really showing the way in terms of where we need to reignite the passion in international rugby league. Uh, so to me, that was a very, very strong yeah. highlight. Um, you, your thoughts on that? Well, absolutely. Like, you know, it was quite moving, quite passionate and quite skillful. I mean, Guy Sebastian was running, ringing his buzzer, turning his seat around That's as much right. as he could. Simon to, Cowell it, was giving so, them the golden touchdown or whatever it is. I, I, yeah, that, that, that's it. I'm, you know, I'm confused. All these shows blend into each other. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But it was <laughs> it was great. And, you know, I just, uh, you know, one of the most powerful moments, I mean, I don't know if we talk about this again, but I'm going to, you know, 
uh, I kind of think with the Australian anthem, I think we've lost a little bit of our passion over it because there's been so much controversy, and I do get it. And it's been, um, you know, I, I think particularly over the last ten years, it's there's been a big debate about uh, you know different words and different meanings and so forth. And you don't really see the Australian players singing it that much because it's because of the controversy. Um, but then when you see some of the other nations and how that proud they are, I mean, I really like uh, even even the New Zealand anthem and when they sing it. Um, and they sing the first few, uh, you know, lines in in the um, native Maori culture, right? It's um, it is quite moving, and, and have the whole audience there. And I think I think that's what the the thing about the international rugby league it just there is something that it does to you. I think watching it and watching that passion, and yeah, certainly um, you know all the different war dances. And yeah, uh, the Fijian hymn, as as well as you know, um, you know the the sort of the post celebration afterwards. I think, I think that is that element that really draws people uh, to yeah. to watch the games and so forth. So, and I and I think um, I think it's great. I think it takes a lot of courage as well. Um, you know, we're kind of used to the war dance, the war cry, the you know the uh, the sort of the battle lines and everything like that. And to have more of the um, you know the spiritual side of it. The more of the the you know the uh, camaraderie. I think I think it brings camaraderie and all that kind of thing. Um, I think that is it's an important I suppose emotion, and it's important um, other side of what it means to be a professional male uh, role model that we never see. And I think it's good that the international rugby league is actually bringing that out um, because I think it should. It hopefully does encourage uh you know the younger generation or the you know to have a bit more of a balanced outlook towards life um yeah perspective is perspective. the word i'm thinking of yeah yeah when you see that no that's a, that's brilliant you're right it is about sort of balance as well and um mm. and yeah i mean it, and it sort of it sort of shows as well that you don't i mean i don't know do you i didn't really get i know we're going to talk about this more a bit later but i just my final comment is uh I just don't get the sense that there's there's not so much grubbiness in these games. <laughs> there's a there's more of a love of the game and mm. trying crazy things, and that's why you see some big scores sometimes because it's not just about defense and slowing down and you know winning at all costs. It's about you know yeah yeah you win you try and win as much as you can, but it's it's also about putting on some good football. And I think we saw a really great. You know, we'll talk about it later, but. Uh, PNG put on a pretty great try as well uh, to Lachlan Lamb. So, you know, oh, that's, yeah, yeah and so there's examples of that. But anyway, look, let's park that thought because we're going to talk about it in depth soon. But let's go on to tackle number two, and we're going to talk about uh, review State of Origin Game 2. State of Origin Game 2, as we said earlier, it was a domination uh, performance, dominating performance by the Blues, 44-12 to after having led uh, only 14-12 at halftime. It was at Optus Stadium in Perth. The attendance, a pretty big crowd, 59,358. In the end, it was seven tries to two, tries to Matt Burden, Brian Toll, Daniel Tupo, 
Jerome Luai, two to Cleary and one to Angus Crichton. Uh, seven conversions to Nathan Cleary and one penalty goal and two tries to Queensland, Felice Cafusi and Cameron Munster and two goals to Valentine Holmes. And, of course, the dreaded Sinbin, one to Felice Cafusi, who <laughs> seems seemingly there has been, uh, you know, a lot of talk around, uh, you know, around the, the impact of that Sinbin. So, yeah. look, let's, let's not... Ignore the elephant in the room. Let's talk about that first up. <laughs> okay, Do you yes. think Felici Kafusi's sin bin A was it justified? And B, did you think it, uh, it it ruined the game or it impacted the game somehow? Okay. Well, great questions, Doctor T. Uh, was it warranted? I think that's a good question. Okay. So uh, you know, the ref said that he did warn, and that's why there were so many six against. Because normally you hear on the six against. Um, you know, you, you know, you don't you don't think of six against as penalties, but they are penalties, you know. So when he's bowling six again, six again, six again, and I think there was like four or five of them in a row. Um, and there was actually a penalty in there as well because I think the first penalty was escort, and then after that there was like three or four six against. Now, if he's warned, uh, Daly Cherry Evans, then I think Felice Cafusi took that risk. Um, you know, people say, oh, you know, you shouldn't blow the penalty instead of origin but it really shouldn't be different rules for state of origin as what it should be there um and then i did see this i did hear one commentator do this because i kind of didn't even understand what the penalty was for right (laughs) dr t like you know it just sort of happened so quickly but he actually had he actually had positioned his um his legs um you know on the either side of the uh, number 16's head of New South Wales, right? And he had him locked in a vice and he was like, you know, just jumping up and down with his head in, in between his legs, right? And then, like, you know, it's kind of saying it's kind of a very savage uh, way to slow down the ruck, right? You know, so... But you know, if you just take it on that... <laughs> yeah, which, which, to be honest, Felice Cafusi has come, you know, he's, he ha- he's not sort of immune from controversy when it comes to some of these type of, you know, subtle tactics, you know? Um, so, so the thing is, I think it did warrant definitely a six again. And if they've been warned that, hey, look, next one's going off the bin. Well, guess what? Then I think they're in every right to do it. Um, I did notice that uh, after he was sent off, he was sent off just before halftime, um, that after the halftime break, they uh, interviewed uh, Brad Fittler and he said, you know, well, you know, this first eight minutes are going to be really important when he's on the field. And then, um, you know, Billy Slater said, okay, well, you know, this seven minutes is an, a really good opportunity. So I was thinking, okay, well, is it seven minutes or eight minutes that we got left? And he actually came in after six minutes. <laughs> so, um, and I know there's a bit of controversy about, um, because uh, the time, like after the 40-minute bell had rung, uh, they actually, the time that it took Nathan Cleary to take the shot, those 30 seconds or 45 seconds was actually counted as part of Felice Confucius 10 after the 40 minutes, Dr. T. That's that's what I heard. And so, you know, I'm willing to let that slide. Except, <laughs> yeah, I know. Except for the fact that is it really time in play, though? I mean, it's, not really, <laughs> it's a conversion yeah. where you it's inconsequential where the Queenslanders mm. stand. Mm. There's no no it's it you may as well just 
you may as well just count the time that it takes the Channel 9 commentators to talk to Brad Fittler at halftime as they walk in towards the tunnel. Like, it yep. makes no difference. So I, I really don't agree with that. And if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to be fair yeah, and and show people and uh, you know communicate to the broadcasters that that is what's happening because it does look a bit dodgy, even though there is an official game a gamekeeper. But even then, yeah, you know, I don't know if that time should be counted to a sin bin when it's technically not in play. Um, anyway, I don't know. And like, I don't. Maybe, and, maybe, and, and and the other question, I don't think it mattered. Like, yes, it might have tied down Queensland yeah. for ten minutes, but I don't think it. I don't think it had the biggest bearing into the result. Um, fatigue did play a factor, definitely, like particularly in the second half when New South Wales ran away with it. Um, but I don't think the the extra man overlap. I mean, I didn't really see in that 10 minutes how New South Wales tied him out so much. Um, but it's actually after he came back onto the field, it's when the impact, like that's when New South Wales actually really started to dominate. Yeah, so I think, I think the thing is that um, the... <sighs> In terms of the impact, I mean, they only scored one try during mm. the time that he was gone. So if you want to make the argument that having the one-man overlap is a, is a disadvantage, well, yeah, it did It did kind of, do, I guess you could say, directly led to the Brian to all try. There was an overlap there and it was taken. Okay, fair enough. Maybe. Maybe you can say that. Um, can you then say that that period of time with an extra player – or with with a one less player tired out the Queenslanders much more than would have been the case. We we'll never know. I do say one thing though: you had a halftime break in between <laughs> to yeah. recover, and so that I think the fact that it's that your ten minutes is broken up by a halftime break mm. to me negates the argument that well it tired out the Queenslanders. You know, not really, because when they came back, um, they still they managed to not concede a point until mm. he came back, and then a couple of minutes later, Tupo scored, um, and then even then there was no try for another ten minutes after that. So it's not it's not as if there was a barrage of points, uh, uh, you know, immediately after you know whatever. It's I just think it's just an absolute garbage uh, argument, yeah. and I've just. I've just seen it constantly uh, perpetuated in the media. I'm getting kind of sick of it because I think any logical, you know, we've just I've just explained two reasons why that's not the case. That that they would have had plenty of time to recover in the dressing room. Um, we saw them at halftime the way that they recovered. They were all sitting around listening to Billy Slater. Um, they weren't moving. Uh, in comparison, the Blues had this weirdly odd kind of multiple <laughs> multiple little small groups that they were sitting around talking to each mm. other. So I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe if someone can tell us what, what what's Brad Fittler doing there? Did he just pick random random kind of mates? <laughs> you know, or was it a specific? You know, you're the leadership group. You're the backs. You're the forwards. I don't know. I couldn't work it out. But look. Mm. It wasn't like some games where players are just kind of walking around, you know, stretching, whatever. They were all sitting down, taking their breaths, recovering, you know. It's it's mm. the most physical form of the game, origin. And so, you know, you can't blame them. At the end of the day, though, it all comes down to, you know, what 
what did it look like? Uh, you know, what did the stats tell us? So I'm going to just sort of quickly go through some stats to show you the the, the level of domination that can't be explained by a Felicia Kafusi Simbin. Mm. <laughs> it goes way beyond that. So I'm going to – look, some of these are unbelievable, so I need to go through all of them because uh, let's be as uh, comprehensive as we can be. But I think it's going to add to the picture of how dominant the Blues were. Um, so let me start with possession. So this is just the team stats I'm looking at. Possession, 60-40%, um, wow. which is just unbelievable. Time in possession, the Blues, 31 minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm rounding it out. And the Queenslanders, 21 minutes. Uh, you know, unbelievable. Again, Uh Completion rate, 88% to 75%. Again, Blues dominant. Um, runs, they had more runs. They had many more run metres, 1,800 to about 1,000 metres. Post-contact metres, 612 versus 324. So again, post-contact meaning as soon as the tackler comes, how much mm. further do you drive them back? Again, that's to me, that's an evidence of forward dominance. And we talk about, and if I just pause there, we talk about the role that, um, you know, not having Jake, you know, Jerbo, Jake Trebojevic, mm. uh, Josh Adokar, players like that in the first game. Well, the re readmission of Jake Trebojevic was a godsend because I think it was widely known that he added the, uh, what they call the, st that he added starch to the forward. Mm. Um he was amazing. I mean, without being brilliant, without, you know, I don't think he had too many highlight reels, uh, too much in the highlight reels in terms of, you know, go forward or whatever. But he did what he needed to do. He was there yeah. in defense. He didn't give away silly penalties like he sometimes does with Manly, uh, which I did say to you uh, that was would be one reason why you wouldn't pick him is because he's a bit of a liability in terms of giving away penalties. I think he proved that you put him in a state of origin arena, he doesn't do stupid things. He actually, you know, he, he leads from the front and that's exactly what they needed. So a lot of these stats are all around, you know, to me, the the way the forwards can uh, got, got, you know, won the middle, basically. Line breaks, seven to two. Again, this is all New South Wales domination. Tackle breaks. Now, this is the big one. Tackle breaks, 56 Versus 23. Wow. Queensland. That, look, more than double. I mean, how could you? Yeah, sure. It's Felicia Cafusi's fault. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, average set distance. Average set distance, 42 metres, 42.3 versus 27.99. So, again, on average, in a set of six, how far did they go? That's how far they went. Kick return meters, again, kick returns, not even talking about the kicks themselves, 226 to 117. Um, there's a few other ones. Offloads are around even. Receipts of the ball, so this is passes. Uh, you know, again, total passes, many more, 276 to 158. 24 kicks to 19. Kicking meters, seven, uh, well, 734 versus 641, not too bad. Uh, 10 bombs to two, <laughs> you know. So, again, and we do remember the great one, if I pause it there, from uh, Matt Burden. Oh, yeah. Uh, who hit it. Kicked so it out hard. of the stadium, right? <laughs> Almost kicked it out of the stadium and people didn't know where it was. Um, and, you know, just going to show how valuable he will be in game three because mm. um, 
to give us another option to put up a pressure kind of kick. Obviously, a former Penrith Panther, um, he proved it in in that excellent uh, try where uh, it seemed like he kind of him and Cleary knew exactly what each other was doing. Um, again, this is why there's a benefit of having combinations and players that play with each other and know each other's game. Uh, and Queenslanders have done this, uh, you know, forever. <laughs> and and with the dominance of the Broncos and the Storm uh, players, and it's the same thing now. It's starting to happen with the Blues and the Panthers. Um, what else am I looking at? Uh, missed, well, missed tackles is the flip side of the tackle breaks, of course. Um, let me have a look if there's anything else. Now, penalties. Uh, look, we don't have I don't have stats for the six agains, but on the NRL.com website, but I do have the penalty actual penalties that were given. Uh, eight for New South Wales and five um for Queensland. So again, not not like it was a dominant kind of um Mm. Uh, so not Parramatta versus Manly in the seventies or something like that. No, right? that's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I meant I meant penalties conceded. So, what I mean by that is Queensland won the penalty count eight five. Oh wow. So, yeah, it, it's let's be very clear about that. Um, what else we had? Uh, yeah, an odd thing where we had um, Cleary put on report for a strong hit on Kalen Ponga. I guess they thought his massive chin contributed to, you know, maybe <laughs> hitting Ponga in the head. But, yeah, no, mm. Ponga, um, you know, we, there was controversy afterwards, people saying maybe, uh, you know, maybe we need to look into, you know, should he have kept playing on and, you know, he had a HIA assessment, etc. Well, I think I do recall uh, the New South Welshman being blasted for Isaiah Yo staying on the field. And yet nothing was made of Caelan Bonga staying on the field. So mm. I find that really kind of uh, hypocritical that the media yep. jumped on New South Wales but didn't apply the same logic uh, or scrutiny to Queensland. But look, I, I won't bore you with any more stats, but basically whichever way you look at the kind of key indicators of performance, um, in my mind it all boils down to, you know, they were talking about from game game one, we lost the ruck. We the refereeing, uh, you know, allowed Queensland to slow down to play the ball too much. We got it frustrated us. We weren't allowed to play our game. A quick word, a quiet word from Fitler to Ashley Klein during the week, um, you know, suggesting, look, you need to sort of make it a bit fairer, or you know, give us a fair shake when you adjudicate how long players can stay down. Um, seems to have worked wonders because I felt that it was a more open game. I mm. felt that it was uh, there was less niggling, which I think is why Felici Kafusi's holding down seemed a lot more salient. It stood out a lot more because mm. we didn't see much of it for the rest of the game. I mean, Queensland tried, but they didn't they weren't as successful as they were in game one. And I think what that led to is um, yeah, a greater focus on winning it up the middle. Um I found that Damien Cook's injection late in the first half and then continued on uh, in the second half, I felt he his injection was underrated. His impact in allowing us to get that momentum and speed in the ruck um, is, is what led to that uh, uh, avalanche of tries in the second half. So, look, in my mind, you know, the key things were Cleary, uh, well, let me let me throw it over to you. What what do you see were the key 
the key plays or the key players and the key highlights to come out of the game? Yeah, well, look, um, you, you've run uh, across some stats and everything like that. And I think um, if I just address the refereeing and the controversy of the refereeing and so forth, I think the big argument or I think the big uh, issue that a lot of people had was that they felt that Queensland got, um, you know, like they, they thought in game one that New South Wales uh, average play the ball speed was a lot slower than Queensland's. Um, and, uh, you know, and then when, when Queensland were actually sort of, uh, you know, critical parts of the game when they were actually, uh, you know, trying to slow the game down, um, they uh, they sort of got away with it, right, um, where there should have been more penalties. Now, in game one, uh, New South Wales had 3.4 seconds average play the ball speed, um, okay? In game two, they actually had, uh, this is kind of uh, 3.86. Yeah. Okay. So they should play the ball slower. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, interestingly, Queensland had 3.78 seconds in state of origin two. So in fact, they were playing the ball a point tenth of a second faster on average than New South Wales. <laughs> right. So what does that tell you? What does that, that- tell? It- it didn't matter, right? At the end of the day, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, 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 it didn't matter. The thing that everybody's saying it matters, it didn't matter, and um, it was just that uh, this game was a lot slower. There, there was rain during, throughout the game as well, so I think that kind of had an effect. But I think I think what it came down to is that selection. I think New South Wales picked a more experienced side. Um, uh, look, I uh, regret the fact that I didn't have Jake Trubovic in my pick for. Game one, and I think Brad Fittler regrets it too for not picking him either. Right? Um, when I heard this statistic, and I actually just checked it as well, but Doctor T, you wouldn't believe this, but out of the fourteen games that Jake Trebrovic has has played for New South Wales, do you know what the total number of missed tackles he's had oh, in fourteen no games? No two. No Are you serious? Yeah, wow. two. He did not miss a single tackle in this game either. Um, so that shows how much of a step up he takes when he plays for New South Wales. I think you also saw, like, uh, you know, Angus Crichton, if you watch him play against the Roosters, you think, you know, how, how did he get picked first out of Origin? But then you watch Angus Crichton play in an Origin game and you think he's the best player in the world, right? Um, you know, just very mobile, very quick. Like, you know, he mm. gets the ball, uh, offloads when he can, and also you could also see him. Uh, play the ball speed really, really quick, and I think I think ultimately they just had a team that knew how to get the job done to actually uh, to actually win. I think they just came with a lot better mindset than what they had in game one. I think maybe Fittler maybe tried to experiment a bit more in game one. Maybe that's what it was. I'm not 100 percent sure, but you know the the changes was kind of like he he almost back he almost went back to his old old team if that made sense. Um, by bringing, like, you know, sort of reinteresting guys that he had uh, trust for. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting with uh, with uh, Coruscant because he did have a really good uh, first 20. Um, but then, you know, as Cook came in, you are, you are right, he sort of took that position. I don't think he sort of um, left the field after he came back on, um, Damien Cook. Um, and maybe Coruscant was reintroduced, but 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 maybe in a, in a different role to dummy half. I, I wasn't... I wasn't no, really I don't sure. He, I don't think he came back on. Yeah. So, yeah. So maybe they identified <coughs> something that was happening in the first twenty minutes 
um, that Coruscant was was and and but they just played that role I think brilliantly. Um, and yeah, Matt Burton was a sensation in the centers. He came in for those odd kicks here or there. Um, you know, it looked like he had no nerves. There's a couple of things like he he's a real athlete, isn't he? Like he he kind of um, showed off quite a lot of skill, which I think it, it had that much needed X factor. And I think um, don't know. Like obviously they're talking about White and coming back in. Uh, perhaps Stephen Crichton might be the one that sort of falls by the wayside. I'm not 100 percent sure how that will. Uh, play out, but I don't think Crichton had necessarily uh, a poor game. Um, but I think if you compare the two senses, I think um, Burton probably had a better, uh, better look at it. And yeah, for Queensland, like you know, the debutants they had had a really good, great game in the first Origin, but I think in game two, when New South Wales were had their, you know, they they, they had a much better out, uh, I suppose, uh, outlook towards the game, uh, and they really wanted to dominate. I think that's. Uh, you know, Selwyn Colbeck kind of struggled. Um, I know there's like, you know, in an interview this week, he was scared about playing poorly <laughs> and missing out his spot, which, you know, which, which you know, you don't want to see because he's got so much talent. But, you know, like uh, I think the, the forwards were dominated uh, a lot. And I think that this, um, it, it almost like a bit of a reality check for them, uh, a little bit. So, and I just think that also with Queensland, like, you know, um, the kicking game is so important. Um I don't think they kicked as well as what um, New South Wales did. Um, the way I look at that is is you look at the running meters that Tedesco has, um, you know, and compare that to sort of Callum Ponga. You realize that a lot of times when Tedesco is catching the ball, uh, he you know he does end up having um, having a, a good amount of meters that he could run before the the chase gets there. So I think they're kicking and chasing and all that sort of stuff. I just it probably didn't it didn't have the same amount of effort that they had in game one. Um, now, on the other side of it, I mean, James Tedesco almost ran 300 metres, right? So it wasn't just him um, uh, on the last tackle running 20 metres, well, sorry, on the first tackle running 20 metres before he, he uh, finds a defender. I think also you look at some of the runs that Tedesco had taking it up the middle. Um, you know, he was, he was basically, uh, you know, getting a break every, <laughs> every other tackle he had the ball, right? Um, and yeah, they just, they just seem to, there's not, I'm trying to think if you put the, all the players head to head, there wasn't one contest that New South Wales wasn't winning man or man, uh, you know, um, winger versus winger. I think every, uh, like, you know, centers versus singers, forwards versus forwards in every position. I think New South Wales was on top of Queensland, which, which even, even Cameron, um, I think even, uh, Jerome Luai probably had a better game than Cameron Munster in this one. Um, it's just, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 So, so that's what it came down to. And, uh, yeah, now we moved to Queensland. We moved to the Suncorp Stadium. Um, it's going to be completely different conditions. So I don't think New South Wales can take Queensland lightly, particularly at the Cauldron. Um, but if they put on this type of same sort of dominant performance, have their head focused, hopefully we will see a New South Wales victory from, from our point of view. Yeah, look, I just want to, before we wrap up, just want a couple, a few more stats to throw at mm. you and, and a quick discussion to end up uh, this review. But um, you're talking about Jake Trebojevic, uh, just looking at the individual stats in terms of, you know, running meters, etc. He he was the highest, uh, you know, of all of the, the Blues forwards. Um, one of the key stats, obviously, would be post-contact meters. As a forward, you want to know that once you get contacted, that you can drive forward. Um, he was 
easily the best in in New South Wales, 61 metres. The next best was uh, Isaiah Yo at 40 metres, post-contact metres. So, again, wow. Jake Draboyevich leading the way, um, you know, in the forwards there, uh, unparalleled, I think, in, in all of the major metrics. Top, uh, I think he was one of the highest tacklers as well. Um, if you look at the backs, and I think uh, – so I think – I guess the, the key thing here is uh, there's no going back now. I think Jake Trebojevic will be there in game three very clearly. So I think the forwards are, have taken shape a little bit. I think the experiment of Coruscant and Cook on the bench, um, uh, Coruscant playing, starting and Cook on the bench may may continue. I think it seemed to work. Um, not sure, you know, whether Fitless sees the way I see it in terms of Cook Give, getting that impact off the bench. But I think I said to you that the way, the if it was to work, that experiment, you would see Cook having uh, a major impact in bringing momentum. And that's exactly what happened, the way I saw it. So I think potentially he'll be trying that again. So that's that's that. If I look at the backs and some of the, one of the stats I want to sort of highlight to you, you know, when you look at all run meters, all of the backs... Um, if we're talking one to five, all of them bar Stephen Crichton got over a hundred meter run. Um, you know, in fact, Tupo got two hundred, Toll got two sixty one, Tedesco got two fifty nine, Burden got one hundred and eight, but Crichton only got forty three, um, and he had eight runs. So he had a few less runs than uh, Matt Burden, who got twelve runs. Um, and post-contact metres, he only got like 17 post-contact metres compared to our top one, Brian Tor at 101, who also got two line breaks as well. So, look, I think Crichton really struggled. If you look at the stats, watching the game, even not even looking at the stats, just watching the game, I felt that Crichton struggled a little bit. He did a couple of good things, um, he, you know, made a very important uh, tackle in goal to get get a repeat set. Um but I think uh, if you're looking at what's going to happen in game three, I think the logical thing is you're going to have to put Burton and Whiten together in the centres, uh, potentially bring Crichton in off the bench or or something, or maybe even miss out altogether. Because I think uh, I think it's pretty clear that uh, yeah he, he struggled a little bit, but I think he'll get into it. So I think there's there's no point throwing mm. away Crichton. I think he's got some potential and. He's just got to discipline himself a little bit more, but he has the potential to be dangerous. Uh, he's got a Tupo-esque kind of uh, physique about him, and mm. I think that can work in his favour, and he's very athletic. And so I think there's a benefit to having him long in the long run. But, yeah, yeah. look, um, that's that to me was uh, the, the, the last kind of comment around game three and what the, the side will look like. I think, if anything... The only decision Fitler ne- needs to make is that one. What does he do with Whiten, who was forced out with COVID in game two um, and was the star player in game one in a very, very tough game? I think it's Whiten deserves another chance, and I think he has to do a bit of a shuffle there. Um, it's unfortunate for Crichton, but I think he didn't, you know, he's had two games now and he hasn't really performed extremely well. So I think he just needs a bit of a. A bit of bit of time off the bench, kind of thing, uh, to to start that the next game, maybe. Um, any other last comments before we move on? Yeah, well, look, I thought Tupo did enough to, to keep his position as well. Um, yeah, but I did. There, there was there was some times in the first half where I thought, oh man, New South Wales just needed to pass the ball to Adokar if he was there, and they would have scored, right? Like the lot, <laughs> like I, like I thought about that with the a couple of charge downs early in the first half. 
if only Adekar was there, right? Like, yeah. like, like you kind of see a few opportunities, and and Tupo, look, he's fast. I'm sure he is fast, but like when he runs, he doesn't he doesn't look like he's like uh, steaming down the line, right? Like so, um, but but yeah, that's probably the only one. But but I think Tupo is, uh, he, I think he's safe. I think he does give a benefit on the high ball, but yeah. That's, that's well, would you early. would you believe that the equal highest uh, that Daniel Tupo got equal highest number of tackle breaks in in the Blues at ten equal to Tedesco? So oh, look, wow. yeah, I mean, again, sometimes it pays to look at the stats because you don't really see it so much during the game. But he definitely, um, you know, when he was able to break free a few times, mm. uh, more than a few times, the most out of any Blues player. Uh, equal to Tedesco. So, look, yeah, that's why it pays to look at the stats sometimes. But, look, I think uh, we've exhausted our review of Game 2. It was a brilliant game for the Blues. They finally kicked into the gear that that we know that they had in them in, in the second half. And I think the key question is, what's the home ground advantage going to do to the Maroons? We know it's going to give them an extra few points, but are the Blues able to replicate this uh, performance in game three when it counts. Uh, what are the what are the Maroons going to do? I think I said in game one, the Maroons can't play much better. The Blues have a lot better to play, and this is exactly what we saw. Uh, in fact, if anything, the Maroons kind of played dismally in, in some cases. But I think that's all to do with the, what, what the Blues did and uh, how they controlled the middle. Um, so if they can do that again, I foresee a, a repeat in game three. Maybe not that sort of score line, but I think it'll be fairly comfortable. But, yep, let's see what happens. Um, and fairly soon, I think in another week or so, we're going to get a uh, the next next team, the next squad uh, of both sides getting announced. So we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But let's move on to our international games review. And here we go with tackle number three. All right, so the ga- the review of the games. New Zealand, firstly, twenty six to six over Tonga. Um, look, my I I saw this. I was very impressed with the uh, the Tongan passion, not just in the fans, but also amongst the the team. I think they uh, they they certainly do play with passion and real toughness. But I I felt like the the New Zealand Kiwis were a class above from the beginning to the end. I never really thought that Tonga was would be able to win this after uh, you know not very long into the game. Um, but yeah, Tish, did you? Uh, let me just see if I can bring up the stats. But uh, did you have any thoughts on on what you saw with New Zealand uh, versus Tonga? Okay. Well, look, I felt that this was um, uh, the best New Zealand side I've seen for a while, uh, uh, like just in terms of selection and how they played. I think Joseph Manu almost uh, ran for over 300 metres uh, as fullback. So it kind of shows what he is as a fullback. I think Dylan Brown and Jerome Hughes are so exciting as the, as the half and five-eighth. And Brendan Smith is one of the world-class um, dummy halves in the world. So their spine, uh, fantastic. They've got you know, some elite NRL players playing in top teams for in their forwards and in their backs. And, you know, just, yeah, just that 
that whole thing. So I think it was a really good indication of where they're going to be when it comes to the World Cup. And I think that they definitely showed that they are going to be uh, a threat to Australia and New Zealand in terms of win- winning. Over on um, Tonga, now the thing about Tonga, um, they've got the size in the forwards, they've got the X factor in the backs, they've got the finishing ability in the backs, but this game clearly showed that they really lacked a kicking game and uh, sort of game management in the halves. Um, That's right, yeah. And, you know, they had Taltai Amon, who plays 5'8 and fullback for the Dragons, and he's in his first season. Um, You know, he's a rookie uh, at halfback, and I don't think his kicking kicking game was necessarily up to it. And then um, Katoni Staggs had some shocking kicks as the backup kicker, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, So... so that that's unfortunately what 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 happened to them. The good news is though for Tonga is that um, they you know the man to steal in the Super League at the moment is Tui Lola here, who's played for Tonga before. Um, so he's actually leading the man to steal at the moment in the Super League. Um, he he has played halfback and five eighth for Tonga, and he's a good game organizer and game manager. He's going to be there at the World Cup just because of scheduling uh, with the Super League. Um, they had to play in it. They played a Super League round over the weekend, so he wasn't able to come for this game. So they get they are going to have a quality uh, you know sort of seven in there, and then they can move Amon into the five F role, which he's played before, um, and move Tony Sags back into the centre positioning, either, you know, uh, Sully or, or Penasini can sort of, um, you know, they can sort of shuffle that around a little bit. So I think that is good news for them. And the other part, part of good news in terms of their spine, because that's really where they're, where they're sort of a bit weak on, is I thought Sonny Luke off the bench as their backup dummy half was actually really good. Um, he's playing for Penrith at the moment. Um, so hopefully towards the end of the season, he gets a, a lot more game time. Um, but I actually thought that he almost kicked a 40-20 a couple of times as well. So I think that he actually brings another kicking element to their squad. And I think um, even having him coming off the bench and sharing the load with Havili, um, who's also got a bit of a kicking game too, I think that that will actually be enough for them to to fix those issues, which would then put them back into that, um, you know, fourth, maybe challenging for the fi- uh, for the cup as well. So that's what I think about uh, Tonga, uh, about, uh, you yeah, know, that's what I think about both these teams. All right. And look, I forgot to mention that it was a big, big crowd at uh, Mount Smart Stadium, 20,000 or so uh, people. And it was a four tries to one at the end of the day. Uh, you're right. I think the key thing that we saw out of this is the value of having good halves that can control the game, that can, uh, you know, do what needs to be done. Um, when you compare the fact that we haven't really got, you know, a full-time, you know, the, the, if you look at Stags and whoever else they want to put in in the halves versus Jerome Hughes and Dylan Brown, I think there's no contest. I think actually Dylan, both Dylan Brown and Jerome Hughes kind of, really stamp their authority and, and sort of, you know, definitely uh, there's danger signs for the, the rest of the the contenders for the World Cup later this year because I think New Zealand, I don't think they will, um, you know, re- there will be a repeat of their disappointing performances in the last World Cup. I think they're definitely going to turn it around and 
and yeah, um, looking forward to it. It was a really good game. Uh, like I, like I said, in New Zealand, definitely dominant. Um, I could run through the stats as I did before. Similar kind of dominance, uh, very clearly. If you didn't know what the score was, you'd look at the stats and go, I reckon the New Zealand Kiwis would have won quite easily, and it's exactly what happened. Moving on to the next game, Samoa and Cook Islands. Look, similar similar situation here. I don't think the Cook Islands would, would ever be uh, considered a uh, in the same league as uh, as Samoa in terms of international rugby league. But, um, you know, again, it was uh, a dominant performance, eight tries to two um, for Samoa, uh, a good 10,000 or so crowd there at Campbelltown. Um, again, similar kind of thing here where part of the reason you see a side like Samoa needing to step up to the next level uh, and having players like Milford there in the halves is going to be, you know, and, and soon to come, I guess, is Jerome Luar going to be committed to Samoa and Brian Toll? I mean, you add these, those two to this uh, lineup and who knows what's going to happen. I mean, we're talking potential semi-finalists here. That's how good uh, players like Luai and Toll can, uh, the, the kind of quality that they bring to this squad, uh, which is already a, a strong squad. But again, 20-0 um, at halftime, and they ended up, you know, it ended up being 22 to 12 in the second half, 42 uh, to 12 overall. Tish, any comments on the Cook Islands and Samoa? Um, what does it mean for Samoa's chances in the World Cup? Okay, well, look, I think uh, Milford had a had a pretty good game game managing. I think, um, obviously, you know, it, it, it was a good test for Samoa, and I think they they actually. Um, did what they needed to do. They ran away with it. So I think that was great. Um, as you said, you're right. Jerome Luai coming into the squad, um, you know, is going to... Now, Stephen Crichton coming into the squad, Brian Toho coming into the squad, all of a sudden, three origin players, right, for New South Wales um, going in there. But then you also got to think Payne Haas is eligible for Samoa. Um, you know, uh, just, you know, the, the Queensland... Um, uh, you know, Junior Paulo and uh, the, uh, you know, and uh, the Canberra forward as well. Josh Papa Lee, right? All Tong, all Samoan, <laughs> right? So, like, they could potentially have about four or five players coming in from both the New South Wales and Queensland squads at the end of the year, uh, you know, both in terms of forwards, in the, in the halves, as well as the backs. And then you could see that again, Samoa becomes, um, as you said, a semi-final contender. Um, but you know, a squad that's probably good enough to even challenge the top teams as well, um, as long as they've got their 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 head head on straight. Um, but I do also want to bring. I was actually quite impressed with the Cook Islanders. I know forty-two to twelve. How can you be impressed? But the reality is that for the first twenty. Sorry for the for the um, the end of the first half, uh, the twenty minutes, you know, the second half of the first half, as well as the first half of the second half. So, you know, uh, you know that that forty minute period of the game, um, Samoa weren't able to score, and I sh- and I thought Tonga, I was like, Cook Islanders showed enough resilience 
But they also showed a bit of attack and a bit of flair. And look, they only have one current NRL player that was playing for their team, which was Essen Masters, who was playing 5 8 and all he plays in the centers and wings for the Gold Coast. He was playing 5 8 for them. So they didn't have a lot of talent. And I thought the fact that they were able to hold out Samoa, who had, you know, basically a whole team of NRL players. I think that really showed um, a bit of resilience. You know, they've got people in their team that, um, you know, uh, for example, Jeff Daniela is uh, 35. He hasn't played NRL football since 2013. <laughs> right. So, yeah. you know, so so, so there, there is uh, their squad, just sort of a bit of a makeshift squad. I did look it up. They have two players that are eligible uh, playing in the Super League. Um, one of them played for the Exiles, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, which is Kenny Edwards, which I think he used to play for Parramatta, right? Mm. Um, so, yeah, bringing Kenny Edwards into the team, maybe for the World Cup, might improve him. But they actually had a really good play- game plan. They had four or five decent players that could do things in attack. And everybody else was just on defense, you know? <laughs> like, just <laughs> tackle your guts out. That's what they needed everybody else to do. And just let the four or five you know, attacking players do their thing when they've got the ball. And, you know, that game plan kind of worked for about 40 minutes of the game. So uh, I think the Cook Islands can do some damage with some other teams in the competition. I do want to see how they would go up against, say, an Ireland or a Scotland or a Wales even, um, even a France. I wonder if they could challenge teams like that with, with you know, a, with a sprinkling of NRL and Super League talent. Yeah, absolutely. And the final game was Papua New Guinea 24 over Fiji 14. Uh, four tries to three. Pretty close game. It was 12-6 in Papua New Guinea's favour at halftime. When you look at the stats, though, uh, it doesn't really paint a picture of uh, PNG dominance because uh, Fiji had greater amount of time in possession uh, they had more, you know, uh, post-contact meters. Um, although PNG had quite a few tackle breaks, and I think forty-seven to thirty-five is probably one of the stats that sort of shows you where PNG needs to improve, which is, uh, you know, defense basically. Um, uh, what other stats look more offloads, however, from Fiji, and so and more dummy passes, twenty-two to nil. To Fiji, indicating that, which, which, what does that indicate? I don't know. That is an unbelievable stat. Uh, that probably tells you that the Fijians are much more comfortable with the ball than without the ball. So I think mm. this is a typical thing that when these, uh, these uh, players get together, if they focus on defense like Tonga has, and they get winning players like Tamalolo who know a thing or two about mm. bringing the team together it adds like an, an extra level to these teams. Yeah, and absolutely. all of a sudden you're not going to see them as just, it's not, not going to be like a, you know, a sevens or a nines game. It's mm. going to be a proper tough game. And I think, you know, ironically, I think that's where Papua New Guinea has had that reputation of also being a bit of a throw the ball around and see what happens kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but they didn't play that way. They played really tough mm. and really tight. And they, you know, um, they did what they needed to do, um, hustled basically their way to the win, um, and then ended up with a brilliant try to Lachlan Lamb, which is one for the highlight reels. Um, 
and and that was the clincher. But look, I think part of the reason might be that PNG has had since the last World Cup much more experience uh, of their their main players in the Queensland Cup competition, uh, yeah. and so I think having that regular exposure to NRL or near NRL quality standard makes such a difference to uh, to the international translation to the international game. And I think that's the thing for Fiji. We're talking about a potential um, New South Wales Cup side out of Fiji. I think that's the smartest thing. If you, It's one pathway, one way to bolster the Fijian ranks. And I think, uh, I think if you'll see... It may take a few years, but I think you'll see the benefits of it. But Tish, what were your thoughts? PNG Fiji and versus Fiji? Yeah, well, look, um, Fiji does actually have more NRL talent, um, but then the problem is when yeah they had I think eight players playing the NRL. However, the other players that aren't from the NRL, you are right; they're not necessarily um, sort of playing in the Queensland or New South Wales Cups. They're probably playing a few rows below that. Um, whereas obviously everybody in PNG is either playing in the NRL or they're playing sort of a grade or two below at sort of the maximum, right? But what you actually saw in this game, yeah, you did see uh, Fiji were a lot better sort of uh, with their running meters and when they had the ball. Um, but what they really lacked was a halfback or, or an organizer. Um, their kicking game, I know they're probably on the stats it shows that they had uh, more... Uh, they had more meters in kicking. But, you know, when I was actually watching the game, where they actually were kicking, they were kicking it straight to um, the fullback. They were sort of, um, you know, they weren't sort of really well organized where the kicking had to go. Um, and and you didn't really see them, you know, uh, kick towards kick out, for example, or or so, so set that up. But I think they, they just lacked that person, you know, sort of um, setting up, you know, Wonga Blake and Sivo and Valame with the ball. And I just felt that they were just way too conservative um, when they had the ball as well. So I just felt that they mm. just needed needed to have a bit more flair, um, which 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 they sort of didn't have for 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 PNG. I think Lachlan Nan really he showed why he was so dominant. They, as you said, they sort of they scored a brilliant try. But I think also with the ball, they sort of had two or, two or three players running at the line the whole time. You know, even if they didn't make too many meters in the ground, uh, you know, they'd normally end the set off with a really good kick, um, you know, and, and tested out the Fijians a lot more. So, yeah, really, really good contest, actually. Like, it was really good to see uh, these two teams because kind of, they kind of approached rugby league a little differently, um, you know, in the, in the way they sort of did it. And I think that, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think very, very solid. Uh, again, like, I don't know who from, Origin will join PNG, um, but I know that Fiji will will gain, um, you know, they'll gain. Uh, sorry, Coruscant in the in the uh, in the hooking role, which could help with some of the organisation. And I think Brendan Wakem is in, injured at the moment, but he's, um, you know, he plays. Uh, he's like a backup halfback uh, for the Bulldogs at the moment. So, you know, it, it's just going to add a bit more organization, um, for PNG. Yeah, as I said, I didn't know who they are getting from origin, but I know that they've got Reese Martin playing in the super league. And, um, I know he's a second roller, but, but, you know, uh, 
can also offer another point of difference. So, um, yeah, I think, again, two two teams that will get better during the World Cup and they just need more, like, they need more games together. Uh, both these, if, if both these nations can play more games for them, like, you know, with each other, they are just going to be powerhouses, right? In 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 rugby league, I think that's, I think there's no question that that that, that can happen as long as they can get time together to play as a team. Yeah, and look, that's a segue to one final point I wanted to make as a general comment around the international games. You know, the need for more games, basically. Mm. Um, you know, I think Andrew Abdo, CEO of the NRL, has come out and said uh, that you know, obviously, on the back of the impressive ratings etc uh from the international games we've just seen that that he'd be working hard to try and get an international uh kind of a a, a window of rep- of international games at the end of the nrl season so that it make it a regular thing he referred to in some comments in the media around you know we used to if you have a window uh where you play international games uh, consistently across the world, then you you can ha- do things like tours. You can have proper series of test matches rather than just one-offs. Um, you know all that kind of stuff. You can have mini tournaments, etc. Um, and and I I agree with that. But my comment to that is because he was sort of saying instead of having a, a round one round within the you know the NRL season which uh, causes some disruption or even though it's kind of con- coincident with the, the state of origin game uh, or at least one of them, um, you know, he said, instead of that, why don't we do this? And my view is just like that little girl in the taco commercial says, why can't we have both? <laughs> which is what I would say to Andrew Abdo, <laughs> you know, mm. why can't we have both? Why can't we have the mid-season test match window as well as an end of season one? Why, why do we have to wait for a full season in order to, to have a proper, you know, window of, of excellent matches? Now, I'm not suggesting we have a big enough window that we play a full tournament, but even just a couple of weeks break where you allow, you know, some of these squads who are only NRL-based players, whereas, you know, as you said, Tonga has some Super League UK players that we want to bring in uh to to add to the full squad um and i think that's what what's missing with the mid-season game so i think there's ways to tweak that to make it more effective more efficient and then the final uh the final point he made about the end of season uh window i completely agree but tish what are your thoughts do you agree with me or andrew abdo or that girl from the taco commercial Okay, I think I agree with the girl from the taco. I, I really like the mid-season um, break with all these games. I know it's not going to happen next year because all three State of Origin games are happening on a Wednesday um, and because every team gets a buy as well. So all, all these changes next year. But, you know, I look at it like this. You've got four teams now, PNG, Fiji, Cook Islands and Samoa, which, which, which is a clear t- Tier 2. Um, in the Southern Hemisphere, um, you know, so without having to bring in um, a, a Northern Hemisphere team like France or Wales, you could sort of have these teams play against each other in a Pacific Cup for, you know, at least three test matches, you know, one each against each other every year, right? Then you've also got, you know, New Zealand, uh, Tonga, uh, sorry, New Zealand, Tonga, Australia, and then, uh, you know, if, if England wants to come down as well, 
you know, you got those teams that can play in a in a four in a in a full team competition at the end of every season too, right? And you know, they could all turn it out between the northern and southern hemisphere as well, right? I'm sure you could also get another tier two happening in the northern hemisphere with Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and France, right? So you you know you you suddenly got you know uh, three pockets of four teams each that are, are sort of at the same level, and I think against each other they're going to be really exciting games. They won't be blowouts, and then you know you're going to get the odd game here or there where they where they get to challenge the tier one teams. The tier one teams get better playing against each other, um, but then they also you know every every so often have to fend off one of these other teams that are sort of ranking up. And I don't think Samoa is too far off to joining the tier one as well. Um, there's that, you know, so I think, I, th- I think, I think it's very viable to have, you know, you've got basically got 12 nations every year that could, that could sort of play each other with, with, with a, with a fairly high standard of rugby league without, you know, without embarrassing the game sort of thing. So I think we, I think it's time that it, that it happens really. Um, and yeah, and Dr. T, you mentioned like the pathways that, uh, you know, PNG players that have that, that now it looks like Fijian players are going to get, you know, you've got all the, um, you've got all the, the Tongan and the Samoan players, uh, you know, something like 43% of NRL players have that sort of Polynesian background, right? So, you, you know, there's going to be a big influx of really good players that come from that pool as well. So yeah, I think bring it on. I think, I think it's what people want to see at the end of the day. I think it's, uh, I think there's so much passion. There's so much pride that goes into it. Um, there's so much culture. People want to learn about it. People want to be a part of it. Um, the double headers are great because, you know, you get to see four nations instead of saying just sort of two nations. Um, I think it's really good for uh, women's rugby league too. Of the, uh, you know, uh, even watching the under 19s um, state of origin game and the Tongan versus New Zealand Kiwi uh, game too, right? The um, there's a lot of talent in those, uh, you know, in those competitions too um, that have different nationalities. So, yeah, I think I think if anything, if they don't take advantage of this, then I think um, you might lose the opportunity of really building a, a solid international game. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to some news closer to home. Uh, tackle number four. We're going to update, provide an update on the Dolphins. All right, an update on the Dolphins. The Dolphins are in the news via the opinions of Phil Gould. <laughs> Tish, what what has Phil Gould got to say about the Dolphins? Okay, well, look, on 100% footy, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, uh, you know, there, there was a question posed to Gus Gould about um, how the Dolphins are going. And then so Phil Gould decided to rip in. He called it absolutely amorous. amorous. Um, you know, amateurish, not, amateurish. Not, uh, not Amish, not Amish, Amish. Yeah. <laughs> not Amish, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, how the NRL has, um, you know, uh, you know, obviously, um, extended the offer to expand the game with the Dolphins. Obviously, the dilution of the talent pool is one thing that he suggested, but also just you know, the lack of time the Dolphins have had to, to actually, um, you know, get a squad in. 
Um, you know, they basically got one season and that's it. And then also like not having a draft or not having any sort of concessions or anything like that, that to actually set up a new, t- new team. Um, you know, if you look at other sports, when they introduce a new team, they get some sort of incentives and they get about two years to build a squad and they get lots of help from the central body to actually build a squad. Whereas, you know, the NRL have just let the Dolphins sort of try and do it on their own, you know, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't help because, you know, the Dolphins side at the moment doesn't look that great. And then we're going to go into their first season. If they end up running the wooden spoon for a few years, then, you know, they're not going to be able to draw NRL talent to get there. And then on top of that, you might end up having a decade or two um, where they end up never winning the competition and where they left. And I suppose the two situations that, that he does cite is let's look at what's happening with the Warriors and let's look at what's happening with the Titans, right? Neither neither have won a competition and, and you know, fan support sort of wanes in those type of competitions. So Dr. Dr. T just asked us a question. Do you think the NRL, the way they uh, roll out a new team and the way they expand, do you think they're doing enough uh, for the Dolphins and doing enough to try, like, you know, when we talk about the 18th team, do you think they need to do things differently um, uh, to, to build a team? Or, or what are your thoughts on, on the whole situation with the Dolphins at the moment? Yeah, it's a tough one because I think if you, if you give too many concessions initially, then potentially you could just be, you know, setting up that team to have, uh, you know, immediate success, which is mm. not necessarily what you want to see. I mean, it's it's not, you know, not that it's damaging, but I think in the long term, it's not really, you know, once you then have a few seasons of, of uh, difficulty, what does that mean for the fans that, that stuck with you from the beginning, are they going to, yeah. are you going to lose fans potentially going to lose interest? So that's a bit of a danger there. But having said that last time the NRL tried to introduce a team was the Titans and they haven't really done anything. And so yeah. I think maybe the, the way they look, when you compare them to the success of the, the previous expansion, which was when Super League started when we expanded to 20 teams and the ARL was established. Um, you know, Cowboys are premiership winners. You still see them. The Warriors have been a couple of times to the grand final, unfortunately not winning. Um, and then the two other teams, uh, what was the other one? Perth Reds, Western yeah, gone. Reds, gone, yeah. which it looks like we may be going back there at some point, and so we should. Um, and then what was the other one? The Crushers gone as well. And so I think <laughs> they were crushed. And so, you know, however, the success of, you know, putting dots on the map, I think, was was important. So I think if the Dolphins uh, proudly representing the, the municipality of the um, with no actual... <laughs> Again, that's to me, that's the biggest drama is not the concessions. It's the identity and the fact that they've allowed a team to just call themselves, uh, you know, a mascot and not refer to and not have a home, a spiritual mm. home base. You know, well, like what's wrong with calling them Redcliffe or Morton Bay or whatever you want to call it, North Brisbane, yeah. you know, call them something. Like it has mm. to be geographically based. Otherwise, yeah. it makes no sense. Um but yeah, so there's that point which I think Gus hasn't really made. But I, but if you look at the squad though, they've got some pretty handy players as a first up 
kind of uh, squad. So you've got Ewan Aitken, you've got the Bromwich brothers, not you know again like decimating the front row of uh, of of the storm in one fell swoop. Mm. You've got Jermaine Izarko, uh, Felici Kafusi. Uh, who else you got? You got Edric Lee, um, Ray Stone. So look, yeah, of course they could they could get more players, but I think potentially we're going to see a flurry of activity later in the year as players start to really consider and come off contract and see where they're going next. I think yeah. you're going to see a lot more players get signed, but I think look, they've got some pretty big names there already. Um, yeah. So okay. yeah. Well, Dr. T, I've thought about this and I think I've come up with the formula for a successful expansion club. Oh, yeah? Go ahead. Okay. One that will last. Okay. So, okay, I'm just going to go back and think about all the teams. Okay. So, you did mention the Titans. Okay. And then before the Titans, you also, who are still there, who isn't there is the Adelaide Rams. Okay. But who is here is the... um, is the Melbourne Storm. And then you also had the Hunter Mariners come in there as well for a bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who are also gone. Then if you go back, you've got Western Reds, Perth, who are out, North Queensland, who are in, right? Uh, Crushers, who are out. And then, uh, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, and then what was the other thing? New Zealand Warriors. Then if you go back a little bit, you also have the Gold Coast who sort of came in and then that sort of defunct as well, um, sort of keeps coming in and out. Then you had Newcastle who who have stayed and then you've got Brisbane who have stayed and then before that you had Canberra who stayed, but Illawarra who have gone now, right? All part of that, right? So the common denominator with all these teams that stay, right, is that Sydney siders hate them, okay? <laughs> Sydney, yeah, Sydney siders hate Brisbane, let's be honest. We hate Melbourne. Like we're we're kind of indifferent to Adelaide and Perth, right? <laughs> okay, like <laughs> okay, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, we 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 hate Queensland. So North Queensland, just with the title, Queensland is like is enough, right? Although when you bring in the second Brisbane team, we're like, ah, oh, we kind of hate Brisbane anyway. Let's bring another team to upset them. We kind of like them, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And that's so <laughs> mean. I see where you're yeah, going with yeah. this. Yeah, and then, and then like Gold Coast. I mean, we all love going to the Gold Coast for a holiday. It's kind of New South Wales anyway, you know. Um, mm. It's northern New South Wales, you know. Uh, yeah, Illawarra. When nobody really minds the Gong, you know, we all kind of love the Gong, but we hate Canberra, you know. So uh, you know, same thing. The Hunter, Mar- yeah, Hunter Valley, nice and good, but Newcastle, we don't really, we, you know, they're kind of like our, you know, on our coattails a little bit. So I think as much as the team needs to be loved where they are, they need to be hated uh, in traditional Sydney, if that makes sense. Um, I think. So what does that mean for where we can put a team in? Are <laughs> yes. we? <laughs> so, so I think I think going back to Redcliffe, right? The fact that it has no destination uh, means. That 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 basically, yeah, it doesn't it, like. How can we, as as New South Welshmen, you know, supporting Western Sydney clubs? How can we actually hate these guys? You know what I mean? They need to have uh, a more of a, a hateable place uh, in, in the calendar. You know what I mean? So I don't know, Adani Dolphins. I don't know if that would work. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, something like that. You know, um, but but yeah, but I but but, but I feel like it, it, it's it's it's. You know, what makes these clubs successful is the rivalries they have with each other, right? So I think mm-hmm. that was the first mistake. Um, 
I, I think that they do need more time and I do think they need some sort of concessions because, you know, if you think about um, particularly Brisbane and Melbourne, part of the reason why they've had so much, like, you know, they've got such a big fan base now because they did get early success, early premierships. So I think you've got to give them a, a bit of a, a boost up t- to sort of get that, um, you know, um, that they could do. And I've, look, I don't know if we're ready for a draft. I don't know about the, how we're going to like logistically make one happen. Um, but then you sort of, yeah, but, but I think that if we did have some sort of mechanism where they could sort of, um, you know, get younger players in, into their systems um, that end up being sort of their household names. Cause if you think about Melbourne, like, you know, Cameron Smith, Billy Slater, and Cooper Cronk, the three big the three big ones from Melbourne, they kind of played their whole entire career for for Melbourne, apart from Cooper Cronk, of course. Um, so 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 them being established by the new entity, I think it kind of helps them gain support. So uh, yes, yeah, so let's um, yeah. So 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 what you're suggesting, Tish, is the next team should be the Cameron Smiths, basically. <laughs> You know what? Think about this. If it, 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 it's in the Redcliffe Dolphins, if they were Cameron Smith's Dolphins, for example, <laughs> you know, like his pet dolphins. Every every uh, every uh, Sydney guaranteed success, guaranteed guaranteed success. success will go to their home game, right? <laughs> like you know, to watch. Cameron Smith Dolphins lose, right? You know, they'd, they'd, they'd want to do that. And you know what? They'd even fly over uh, to watch some of their home games at, at, at the at the Cameron Smith Memorial Stadium. <laughs> right, to do it, you know. And then, yeah. yeah. And then maybe the next team could be Alan Langer's team. You know, Alan Langer's... Uh, I was going to say, could they... Could, instead of Lang Park, could they just call it Langer Park? Langer Park, so, like, yeah. The Langer Park, you know, Lakers or something. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. The Thurston um, Thunderdome. <laughs> oh man! Well, some good ideas there, but uh, let's let's go on to the next tackle. We're talking about the Warriors' homecoming. Here we go. Sorry about that. Oh, I'll edit this part out. <laughs> Sorry, I just forgot. Um, we'll just go with that. All right, tackle number five. It's about the Warriors' homecoming. Home at last, emotions running high as they welcome back home. The Warriors, uh, having announced a sellout crowd for their return to Mount Smart Stadium on July the 3rd against the West Tigers. so that's 26,500 fans at least will be jammed into that stadium for the club's first match at home in 1,038 days since hosting South Sydney on the 30th of August, 2019. And Tish, we saw some uh, footage there in on, on the news, in the media, with uh, the, the, the Warriors being welcomed home with some traditional... Uh, traditional kind of cultural dances, etc. Um, really bringing the emotion and the culture into uh, the fact that this team has, you know, really been away from home for quite some time. 
Tish, uh, did you see what, uh, you know, what do you think about the, the homecoming that the Warriors received? Mm, look, I thought it was absolutely magical. Um, you know, it was great. You know, everybody was sort of dressed in white and um, watching Gandalf giving the, um, <laughs> you know, Frodo and his mates, uh, you know, those those rings right at the end. And, um uh, and they all left in swans, which is fantastic at the end. So, but look, um, yeah, look, it's great to see the Warriors back. It's been an ordeal for them, right? They've had, um, they've had players that have joined the club and even left the club and have never even been to New Zealand. <laughs> New Zealand. So it's been uh, really, really tough. And we did really thank the Warriors for, um, you know, all the effort they've made to keep the uh, the the competition running intact with sixteen teams. Um, you know, all the different moves and changes and the extra quarantine and so forth. And obviously, you know, they've had coaches leave as well um, in terms and everything. So I think they've just gone through everything. And now it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like they're starting over again. You know, it's like the, you know, they've come back now, you know, rugby league can sort of kick off again. They've had a great weekend last week with international rugby league. You know, these players are now going to be in the community, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, going to local schools with their children and, you know, their families are going to be in town and stuff like that. So I think it's just really, really great. And great to see that Auckland as a city has come out, the New Zealand as a country has come out, um, you know, first game to sell out. I mean, it, it, it'd be understandable if it was like, you know, the Warriors versus, say, the Panthers or, um, you know, the Broncos or a, or a big team that is doing really well. Um, but they're going against what, you know, almost last place Tigers at the moment, right? Which, you know, you wouldn't expect to sell out crowd for that type of game, particularly since the Warriors aren't doing that well. So I think the fact that they've got that, it just really shows that there is a real hunger for the Warriors to succeed in New Zealand. And, um, you know, they are doing some things right. The fact that they have um, so many people love the brand over there and, and want to see it well. So let's just hope that this could be a, uh, uh, you know, let's let's hope that this could be a renaissance and hopefully they could build off this a little bit, the Warriors, get a couple of key signings, get develop some, you know, New Zealand talent to hopefully get themselves into the top eight, you know, in the next coming years and even in the top four and perhaps, dare I say, win a premiership in the next three to five years. Well, that's a big call there, and it's a good tip, which means we are at Tackle 6, <laughs> the round 16 tips. Here we go. All right, so our tips for the representative round saw you get four out of five, Tish, and I got three out of five, which means we are dead even at 88 for the year so far. Round 16 is upon us, uh, starting with Manly versus the Storm. I'm tipping the Storm. I'm tipping the Storm. All right, the Knights and the Titans, and look, without Ponga, I believe, I'm not sure. Um, either way, I think the Titans are going to win this one. They're much more desperate to get on the winner's uh, podium. Okay, I'm going to tip Newcastle only because it's a home game for them. And, yeah, Adam O'Brien needs to get a win. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Panthers and Roosters, I think you'd be hard-pressed to bet against the Panthers. So Panthers for mine in an easy yep. one. I think Panthers as well, and I think Luke Carey is out for this game as well. So I think the Panthers uh, should 
comfortably win this one. All right, Bulldogs and Sharks. This will be an interesting one because the Bulldogs are on a high and have momentum. Uh, where are they going to go? I don't think they, they'll defeat the Sharks this time around. So I think their winning run will come to an end. Mm. I'm going to tip the Bulldogs. I think they, uh, yeah, they've got something good going at the moment. So let's see how they go. Trust in Mick Potter, eh? All right. Who's down with Cow- COVID at the moment, by the way? So, Oh, is he? Oh, no. <laughs> Far out. Uh, Cowboys versus Broncos. Um, Cowboys for mine. I think the Broncos, I think this will be an actually really good game uh, mm. up there in uh, Townsville. Yeah, I, and uh, yeah, I think so too. So I'm going to tip the Cowboys based on the home ground advantage. Fair enough. Rabbitohs versus Eels. No surprise, I'm tipping the Eels. Mm, yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Eels as well. I think, oh, no, you know, I'm going to tip the Rabbitohs. Latrell is back. Trust in Latrell, hey? Mm. All right. Warriors v. Tigers. Um, look, I think the emotion will get the Warriors over the line in this one. Yeah, I think the Warriors will be too emotional and the Tigers will take it out. We'll win, is always what you're Yeah, so Tigers, oh my God, yep, yeah, I'll go for the Tigers. Last time of the season, if they don't win, then it's... Have you read the news this week about the Tigers' uh, shambles at the moment? No? Okay. Yeah, we've been rejected <laughs> by an assistant coach. <laughs> Enough said, right? <laughs> yeah. By Cameron Serraldo, no less. All right, there you go. Mm. Um, Dragons and Raiders, and I think the, Dra- the Raiders will win this one quite okay. easily, in fact. No, I'm going to tip the Dragons after they beat uh, a really good team last week or two weeks ago. I can't remember who that was. And, uh, yeah, uh, notice about this game. This game is at Wynn Stadium. It is actually the celebration of the Illawarra Steelers' 40-year anniversary. Oh, wow. We're full of emotion, <laughs> the Dragons will be. Exactly, exactly, about about a team they absorbed. So, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> Which has no representation but one name in the middle. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's the tips for round 16, and that's the podcast. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Tish, an epic state of origin and rep round closes uh, behind us, and now we are on to one more NRL round and then round three of State of Origin, which we'll talk about next week. So, Tish, over to you to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. But that's all for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.